Hi, my name is Guybrush Threepwood, and I'm a mighty pirate. Yep, it's Monkey Island this week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity, or do you die here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 33 of the Upper Memory Block Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joe, and we are back once again, as we always are, week after week or two two weeks after every second week, however you want to say that, to talk about an awesome game from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. So as many of you may know, the show's a week late, and uh, my lord, what a week it has been. I won't go into too much detail, but basically... Monday of this week, uh, Toronto got hit with uh, a huge, I guess they referred to them as very, very large, very intense, very slow moving thunderstorms. And we actually received more rain than Toronto has ever received in uh, a single day, even more than uh, when Hurricane Hazel hit here back in 1954 or something like that. We got like 126 millimeters of rain. Uh, which is basically a month's worth of rain in uh, a couple of hours. There was a lot of flooding. There was actually quite a bit of flooding in my area, which I didn't realize at the time. Um, I'm fine. The house is fine. Nothing bad happened to us. Uh, Most houses in my area were fine. Uh, A couple of houses nearby, actually two houses away from me, they have uh, deeper basements than normal. They have like 12-foot basements, and their sump pumps died, so they got about uh, knee-high water and their basements, and the train station flooded, and trains were submerged, and cars were damaged, but uh, but that's all over, and so you figure, well, Joe, that was only one day, so, um, you know, why is the show a week late? Well, I had some internet issues, and all that kind of thing, and a lot of fun fighting with Bell Canada, but that seems to be all resolved now. My internet is solid, because it hadn't been before, and we are here a week late, but uh, ready to rock and roll on what promises to be a really, really, really big show. So uh, I won't be doing much in the way of news this week, since, as I just said, we're going to have a big show here. Uh, Just in passing, though, I got my hands on Leisure Suit Larry Reloaded, or Leisure Suit Larry in the Land of the Lounge Lizards Reloaded, and played it for, uh, for a good hour or two. My initial review of the game is lukewarm. Uh, The jokes are there, but the game seems a little bit unpolished to me. Uh, Like when Larry's performing a certain action, or any kind of action, uh, his sprite just kind of stands there. Well, uh, well, the narrator explains what he's doing. That that didn't sit very well with me. However, I'm I'm slowly going through uh, that, that game, amongst other things, and I'm having fun with it. I'll have a more complete review later on, and who knows, it may grow on me. But right now, I'm uh, I'm a little eh uh, about uh, about Larry Reloaded. Aside from that, a few announcements regarding Steam. So firstly, the Steam Summer Sale is on. There are lots of deals to be had, including tons and tons of older games at great prices. We're looking at 33% off, 50% off, even 75% off. Uh, If you haven't visited Steam in the past few days, you should definitely check it out. There's a lot of great deals to be had. Uh, Secondly, with regard to Steam... I created a Steam community group for the show. Uh, You can check it out at steamcommunity.com slash groups slash umbcast, or just search on Steam for Upper Memory Block Podcast. 
or upper memory block or whatever you usually use to search for the show. Uh, join up there. We can play some games together. Also, I've been dropping a few uh, gifts to members. So join up, update your wish lists, and uh, I may start giving out some games on a, on a semi-regular basis as a thank you for listening to the show. Uh, more details on that to come. Just kind of forming it in, in, in my brain right now. So I'm uh, not exactly sure how I'm going to go about it. But if you're in the Steam group, it'll be much easier for me to send stuff to people. Uh, suffice it to say that I've been loading my inventory with uh, with some classic and indie titles during the sale for future potential giveaways. Finally, speaking of giveaways, the winner of the Retro Game Music Bundle contest has been determined, and it is Jeffrey Fletcher. Congrats, Jeffrey, and I hope you're enjoying your music bundle. I've already uh, fired him off the code, and uh, yeah, Jeffrey, uh, if, if, if you want, drop a, drop me back an email or a voicemail or something, tell me what you think about it, and uh, and and that is it. Let's get on to the main event. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for On to the main topic for this week, the Monkey Island series. So Monkey Island is a series of six games developed and published by LucasArts. The first game, known as The Secret of Monkey Island, released in my favorite gaming year of 1990. So, Monkey Island is, of course, an adventure game. Now, we've seen quite a few of these thus far, since adventure games were arguably one of the most popular PC game genres of the time period that I cover on this show. So, as we discussed back when we talked Space Quest, or Sam and Max, or Full Throttle, or King's Quest, or whatever else, an adventure game is a video game equivalent of basically a movie. Uh, You take control of one or more protagonists who are tasked early on in the game with some sort of quest. This quest will take our hero or heroes through a variety of locations, have them interact with a variety of non-player characters, and solve a variety of puzzles ranging from getting through locked doors to acquiring allies to accomplishing side quests for NPCs to gain information or equipment uh, to, to aid them in their journey. Accomplishing these tasks generally involves solving puzzles, which again have a very wide range of implementations. Some may be logic-based, some may require gathering items or information, while others may involve finding creative ways to overcome something like a, a physical challenge. Since Monkey Island is a LucasArts adventure, it follows their adventure gaming philosophy. In fact, we'll get into details about it, but it actually created their philosophy. In a Lucas adventure, you cannot hit a dead end. You cannot die, and you will never be required to revert to a previous save game because you've entered an unwinnable state. Exploration and experimentation are encouraged and not punished. Now that we've been reminded of what an adventure game entails, we can talk about one of the most important aspects of an adventure game, the story. To begin with, an overview. So the Monkey Island games follow the adventures of would-be pirate Guybrush Threepwood as he enters and eventually makes a name for himself into the pirate world. Now, throughout the series, there are three constants. One, Guybrush's arch nemesis, the ghost and or zombie pirate LeChuck his sometimes unwanted love for Governor Elaine Marley, and, of course, humor. All the games are set in a fictional version of the Caribbean during the 18th century, kind of the the golden age of piracy, if you will. 
Though each game introduces new islands, they all make up what becomes known as the Tri-Island Area. By the end of the third game, the Tri-Island Area consists of at least 13 visitable islands. So let's begin at the beginning. 1990s The Secret of Monkey Island. The game begins with the view of an island at night, with the words deep in the Caribbean in purple along the bottom of the screen. Eerie music plays in the background until the game's title appears. Then the music breaks into a very recognizable Monkey Island theme, which we will hear later on in the show. After a quick credit sequence, we change scenes to a lookout point on the island. This is Melee Island. An old man is standing by a fire, looking out over the water. Guybrush Threepwood walks into the scene. Now, I'm going to play some clips here. These are actually from the 2009 special edition of the game. Of course, the original 1990 version didn't have voice acting, but I figure this way you can get an idea of the writing. The music is also enhanced, but they are very faithful reproductions of the original. Hi, my name's Guybrush Threepwood, and I want to be a pirate. Yikes! Don't sneak up on me like that. Um... I'm over this way. Ah, well then, Thriftweed. Threepwood. Guybrush Threepwood. I see. So, you want to be a pirate, eh? You look more like a flooring inspector. But if you're serious about pirating, go talk to the pirate leaders. You'll find them in the scum bar. Gosh, thanks. I'll do that. Bye now. I'm off to seek my fortune. Good luck! Um, where did you say those pirate leaders were? The Scum Bar. Right. Thanks! So that concludes the intro and drops us straight into part one, The Three Trials. Now, even from that little snippet of, uh, of interaction there, we start to see some of the running gags that are going to be set up in the entire uh, in the entire game, one of them being that everyone gets Guybrush's last name wrong. Thriftweed, Thorogood, blah, blah, blah. Constant, constant thing. Uh, other nice thing to notice, he has to go to the Scum Bar. It's uh, S-C-U-M-M, which is kind of the uh, the name of LucasArts's game engine. So, you know, one of those kind of breaking the fourth wall referential things. Anyways, that brings us right into part one and into the gameplay section. So since this is an adventure game and the story is, of course, sort of inexorably tied to the gameplay, we'll talk gameplay now and continue on with story as we go. So you are Guybrush and you want to be a pirate. Your goal, at least for the moment, is to figure out how to do that. So you control Guybrush in, I guess we can say, the classic scum format. Thus far, I believe this is the earliest scum game we've talked about. Uh, way back in episode one, we discussed Sam and Max, and later on we talked Full Throttle, and uh, I think we even talked Loom. And uh, all those games do run on the scum engine, but uh, much later versions, though I think Loom was actually the game that came out right after Monkey Island. But So yeah, this is basically not by very much, but it's, it's the earliest uh, scum game we've discussed. So the game interface consists of three major areas. The biggest top third, or sorry, the top two thirds of the screen is, I guess we could call the gameplay area. Uh, this is where the game environment is rendered. The bottom third of the screen is split in two. The left side is your list of available action verbs. 
In the version I played, they consist of give, open, close, pick up, look at, talk to, use, push, and pull. Uh, to the right, there's a 4 by 2 scrollable grid containing inventory items you gather in your journeys. Every time you pick up something, it gets added to this grid. Splitting the top and bottom parts of the screen is a status text line where hotspots are described and uh, the text is also used to build out your action strings. So if we want Guybrush to open a door, we move our mouse over the open verb, click on it, and then click on the door. The status text will read open door and Guybrush will open the door. If the door's already open, he'll say so. Certain items also have default actions. So using our door example, when you hover over the door, the open verb will highlight. This means right-clicking will automatically perform that action. Left-clicking without selecting an action almost always results in Guybrush walking as close as he can to the hotspot. So using our newfound understanding of the deep intricacies of the Scum Adventure Gaming interface, we can start the interactive portion of our adventure. Guybrush walks down to the wharf in the main town on Mealy Island and makes his way over two screens to the Scum Bar, as I referenced earlier, a nice little reference to the name of the game engine. Uh, we enter the bar and start questioning the pirates within. As both we and Guybrush are new to the pirating world, we quickly get directed to the back of the bar where the important-looking pirates hang out. Before we can speak with them, though, a cutscene breaks the flow. Here, we are introduced to our soon-to-be-mortal enemy, the ghost pirate LeChuck. Deep beneath Monkey Island, the ghost pirate LeChuck ship lies anchored in a river of lava. Captain LeChuck, sir. I... Ah, there's nothing like the hot winds of hell blowing in your face. Oh, sir. Nothing like it. Ah, <laughs> uh, sir. I... It's days like this that make you glad to be dead. Oh, yes, sir. Glad to be dead. <laughs> we are glad to be dead, right? Oh, yes, sir. I, I feel so lucky that you happened to capture my ship then murdered me and everyone on board. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. Lucky. Glad to hear it. Well, he certainly seems pleasant. Uh, once that's done, we return to the bar and are face-to-face -face with the important-looking pirates. And yes, that is exactly how they are described by the game. Uh, this is truly the point where Guybrush's quest for piratical supremacy begins. What be ye wanting, boy? I want to be a pirate. So what? Why bother us? Hey, don't forget we're short on help because of this holy chuck thing. So? So, no pirates means no swag. And no swag means no grog. And we're getting dangerously low on grog. Hmm. Do you have any... Special skills? I can hold my breath for ten minutes. Well, all right. But you don't become a pirate just by asking. You'll have to go through... The, the three, three trials. trials. Uh, what three trials are those? 
There are three trials every pirate must pass. You must master the sword. And the art of thievery. And the quest. The what? Treasure hunting, you sea urchin. Right! You must prove yourself in each of these three areas. Swordplay, thievery, and a, a treasure huntery. Then return with proof that you've done it. And then you must drink grog with us. Grog! So, from here on out, Guybrush has to master the sword, thievery, and the quest. In his wanderings, he continues to hear stories of the ghost pirate LeChuck. It turns out LeChuck lost his life in an effort to find the secret of Monkey Island. Now, why would he do this? Well, for the love of a woman, of course. LeChuck set out in an effort to win the love of Elaine Marley, the governor of Mealy Island. Now, you'd think that mastering the sword would involve some kind of odd arcade fighting sequences... Uh, the frustrating arcade sequence was certainly a hallmark of adventure games from Sierra. In Monkey Island, this was not the case, though. Once Guybrush gets his hands on a sword, he quickly learns the secret to a successful duel is not the sharpness of your blade, but the sharpness of your wit. In this game, you sword fight with insults. You start off only knowing a single real insult and no proper responses. As you traverse the pathways of the island, practicing for your eventual showdown with the Swordmaster of Mealy Island, you gather up a good stable of insults and appropriate responses to those insults. So, if you're fighting a pirate and he says, you fight like a dairy farmer, you will win the round if you respond with, how appropriate, you fight like a cow. Respond with something else and your opponent will beat you back. Get three wrong and you lose the fight. Get three right and you win. So, as you progress... Through your other trials, you encounter and immediately fall in love with Elaine. She feels the same way. However, as soon as Guybrush completes his trials, LeChuck attacks Mealy Island, making off with Elaine. Guybrush must now get together a crew and a ship to find and sail to Monkey Island to rescue her. There's so much more story here than I'm even hinting at, and it's all hilarious. There are so many memorable characters in this game. Stan, the used ship salesman who sells you a dud of a ship. Herman Toothrot and the cannibals on Monkey Island who leave each other passive-aggressive memos all over the place. Uh, the fact that the cannibals are vegetarians now and talk about how Guybrush is way too high in sodium for them to eat. The sheriff in the town. Uh, there's so much here that I couldn't cover it in the amount of time that I have. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for...
Like many games we discuss on the show, the Monkey Island series began in the mind of one man, Mr. Ron Gilbert. Gilbert was born on New Year's Day 1964 in La Grande, Oregon. His father, David Gilbert, was a physics professor and for a time was the president of Eastern Oregon University. As with other game designers we've seen, Ron's childhood wasn't really filled with sports and rough and tumble play. Ron himself says that his family discussions didn't revolve around baseball, basketball, or football, but around stars, pulsars, and black holes. Now fast forward to the year 1977. Gilbert's 13, and he is filled for with a love for science and space. He gets his hands on his father's Texas Instruments TI-59 programmable calculator. On it is a very simple battleship-inspired game. The goal of the game is to guess the position of the battleship by entering coordinates into the calculator. Even at 13, Gilbert noticed how this simple little calculator could, in a very rudimentary way, react and make decisions based on his inputs. On top of that realization, in that same year, he also saw a little movie called Star Wars. It captured his imagination and sparked a nascent desire to tell interesting stories. His inclination to storytelling manifested itself one year later. Ron and his friend Tom McFarlane started filming some amateur films on a Super 8 camera. In 1978 and 79, Ron and his friends shot a few small films, mostly directed by Gilbert and starring him, McFarlane, and their other pals. Finally, to complete the equation, in 1979, Gilbert's parents brought home a North Star Horizon computer. Ron was now 15 and had access to more complex games that could run on the uh, Horizon. A huge leap forward from the Texas Instruments calculator that introduced him to the concept of electronic gaming. Aside from the computer, he also started playing arcade games like Pac-Man, Asteroids, Robotron, and Donkey Kong obsessively. He would play them for hours, absorbing every screen, every action, every gameplay mechanic. He'd then go home and try and reproduce the games on his computer. Once he'd accomplished that basic task, he'd try adding elements and mechanics he thought would work to enhance the game. For example, he'd see what it was like if Pac-Man could eat through walls. He soon came across ads for the Atari 2600 console. While his parents didn't deem it necessary to buy him one, Ron continued reading magazines about the Atari and details about its games. As he did with the arcade games, he absorbed as much info as he could about how the games worked and set to reproducing them on his computer. He'd then have his friends play them and tell him whether or not they enjoyed them. Because of this deep understanding of games of the late 70s, Gilbert realized that in the 80s, games would only become more complex. He realized that going forward, games wouldn't just be about killing monsters or getting to the end of a maze. They would need to have interesting plots and stories in addition to fun and addictive gameplay. The games Ron wanted to make would require more than fast reflexes, they would require you to use your brain. Through high school, Ron and his friend Tom became the go-to students for anyone, including the staff, with computer questions. Upon graduation, he attended Eastern Oregon State College, where his father was president. His major, of course, was computer science. In college, Ron was introduced to the Commodore 64. The machine was incredible. While most computers only had monochrome text displays, the Commodore had color graphics and even sound. 
he immediately bought one and began learning the Commodore 64's versions of BASIC and Assembler. Ron and Tom soon realized that they could extend BASIC with additional libraries, so they developed Graphics BASIC, which allowed programmers to easily access the Commodore's graphics and sound subsystems. It worked on both the Commodore 64 and the Atari 8-bit. So this development of Graphics Basic did not go unnoticed. Human Engineered Software, or HESWare, bought the software and offered Ron a job as a developer. He accepted, dropped out of college, and entered the games industry. He worked at HESWare for six months, and then he was laid off. Being that he was the son of a college president, his decision was easy. He was going to move back home, and he was going to finish college. So in October of 1985... He was walking out of the house to go to campus when the phone rang. He almost didn't answer, but after the fourth ring, he turned around, re-entered the house, and answered. It was a recruiter from Lucasfilm Games. They were offering him an interview for a position as a Commodore 64 programmer. For a kid who was obsessed with Star Wars, working for Lucas in any capacity was a dream job. He immediately began the process of moving from back to California from Oregon, This was even before he went for the interview. He was so sure that he'd get the job. Well, he was right. He came on board that same month. At the time, the Lucasfilm Games team consisted of nine people whom Gilbert describes to this day as the smartest people he's ever worked with. One thing he got told right away was somewhat disappointing to him. They were not allowed to make Star Wars games. It was off limits. We've discussed that before back in the X-Wing episode, and eventually they changed their minds, but when Gilbert was brought on in 85... No go. Star Wars was the holy grail. You could not touch it lest you burn to death. (laughs) So Gilbert was assigned the task of porting many Atari 800 games to the C64. Soon, though, his talent was recognized and he was tasked to co-develop a game along with artist Gary Winnick. This was a graphical adventure game called Maniac Mansion. I won't get into too much detail on Maniac Mansion because it and Day of the Tentacle will most assuredly be getting their own shows. One thing I will say is, of course, that Maniac Mansion was the impetus for Gilbert and the others on the team to create a scripting framework so that in the process of designing the game, they wouldn't have to worry about things like animation routines, event handling, error handling, and you know most of the, the, the cruft in the guts of the game. This allowed a relatively small team to focus their efforts on gameplay, story, and design, as opposed to futzing around with low-level code. The new engine allowed them to complete the game much faster than it would have been possible to do otherwise. Of course, as we've seen time and time again, looking at these Lucas Adventures, Scum, or Script Creation Utility for Maniac Mansion, would be used in all games going forward until the age of 3D. The Maniac Mansion was revolutionary. Great graphics, point-and-click interface, it changed adventure gaming as we knew it. So it's now 1988. A few more scum games are under Ron's belt, and uh, he has an idea for his next game. So Zack McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders had just released, and while spending the weekend at a friend's house, Gilbert started dreaming up a pirate-themed adventure game. To outline possible plots, he wrote up quite a few four- to five-page short story treatments which he pitched to Lucasfilm execs. They liked the idea, but it had to quickly be shelved because all design and development resources were being poured into Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. 
Now, luckily, because this doesn't always happen, upon completion of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in 1989, Gilbert was able to pick up where he left off with his pirate treatment. At that point, it was known internally as Mutiny on Monkey Island. From the start, Ron's inspiration for Monkey Island was the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland and the Tim Powers novel On Stranger Tides. Now, he really had to hammer down a story. Ron took his pile of short stories, discarded the ones he thought didn't make sense at all, and then wandered the office asking people what they thought. The one that jumped out at most people featured an evil ghost pirate. Boom. LeChuck was born. Gilbert wanted Monkey Island to be bigger and better than any scum game that came before it. He realized that unlike his other projects, he couldn't do the writing and scripting all on his own. He engaged two new hires, Tim Schafer and Dave Grossman, to help him out. Together, they co-wrote Monkey Island's plot and puzzles in detail, and under Gilbert's expert supervision, they all did the scum scripting that was required to make the game happen. Now, the insult sword fighting was inspired by Errol Flynn movies, which the team watched regularly for inspiration. They noticed that a lot of the time, the hero would insult his opponent instead of actually fighting them. And they figured, instead of just doing that every once in a while, why not just do it all the time? Schaefer also developed an entire working ship combat system that I think I already mentioned in the Full Throttle show. It was cut due to time and budget. And the game's humor was really a reflection of the fun of the team that the team had in the office. Ron always felt that games should be spirited and sprinkled with humor to show that they don't really take themselves too seriously. In fact, even Guybrush's name stemmed from a joke. Character sprites were created in an application called dpaint, and the sprite image files were labeled with the extension .brush. The designers were arguing over the name of the game's protagonist, so artist Steve Purcell temporarily named the sprite of the male pirate Guy.brush. Upon doing this, Purcell interrupted the argument, maybe because he was tired of it, saying, let's just call him Guybrush. Rob thought it was a great idea as a temporary name, and that's what they called him during development. By the time the release rolled around, they hadn't thought of anything they liked better, so they stuck with it. Threepwood was voted on by the whole team. It was Dave Grossman's default RPG character name. So boom, Guybrush Threepwood was also born. Monkey Island was also the very first LucasArts game to truly implement the no dead end slash death rule. Gilbert believed that a player should never have to die to figure out what to do next. Despite this requirement, Monkey Island and all scum games after it usually featured one singular way to die. In this game, Guybrush states that he can hold his breath for 10 minutes, which we heard back in the intro. At one point, Guybrush is thrown into the water and has to perform certain actions to get himself out. If you stand around and do nothing for 10 whole minutes, you will die. However, the game just resets and lets you try again. The music of the game was composed by Michael Land and actually did not use the iMuse event-based music system. Music was tied to locations and not to scripted events. The soundtrack is awesome and iconic MIDI, which, of course, sounds amazing on the Roland MT32. You already heard the main theme, so let's do one or two more tracks. Here's the music from the overworld map of Mealy Island, which really, really evokes some memories for me.
And then, of course, there is LeChuck's theme. The Secret of Monkey Island was also the first game to support event-based cutscenes. Previous to this, all scum cutscenes were based on timers. So this is the only time that now when a certain event happens, boom, a, a cutscene is triggered, which is used pretty liberally throughout the game. So The Secret of Monkey Island released on October of 1990 to huge success and critical acclaim. Initially, an EGA version was released. Then, in 1991, a VGA version was released with an improved Scum engine, and then in 1992, it was followed once again by a CD-ROM version with even more of an improved engine and digital music. So work quickly began on Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge. The whole original team of seven came back together for the new game. However, Monkey Island 2 would not be a Lucasfilms games venture. It would come out under the newly rebranded company of LucasArts. It released in 1991. Monkey Island 2 is interesting in that the story is told in a non-chronological order. As the game begins, we see Guybrush hanging from a rope into some kind of cave. He's holding on to a treasure chest. Elaine climbs down her own rope Ask him exactly what he's doing, and he proceeds to tell her the story of the game up to that point. Well, 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 Guy Brush Threepwood, you do turn up in the strangest places. Uh, hi, Elaine. Uh, do you think you could help me out? How did you get into this mess? It's kind of a long story. Oh, that's okay. I've got time. Uh, well, it all started on Scab Island. Some of my admiring fans had pressured me into telling my LeChuck evaporating story once again. Again, the voice acting is from the special edition. Of course, while he's telling the story, we're playing it. It turns out that Guybrush hasn't had much success gaining notoriety as a pirate, and his retelling of the LeChuck story from the first game is wearing very thin with everyone in the Caribbean. He decides he's going to find the mythical treasure of Big Whoop, buried somewhere in the Caribbean. In the process, he unwittingly revives LeChuck, whom he defeated in the last game. LeChuck returns in zombie form, and once the game catches up to real time, Guybrush once again needs to defeat the now zombified LeChuck. He does so, but gets caught in a voodoo hex. The game leaves us with Elaine wondering where Guybrush is. Monkey Island 2 uses the fifth version of the scum system, the same one that would come on the CD version of the first game a year later. It implemented icon-based inventory, cleaned up some unused verbs like turn on and turn off from the first game, and quite a few other little UI improvements. The graphics were 320 by 200 VGA at 256 colors with bigger sprites, smoother animations, and all around better gameplay than the first. The world was also twice as large, encompassing the four islands. Uh, in the special edition, there's a, a developer commentary and uh, Tim Schafer and Ron Gilbert kind of argue, and Tim wanted people to be required to travel to each of the four islands to solve almost every puzzle in the game. 
Uh, they fought a little bit back and forth on that because Ron thought it would be annoying. And I think actually Tim Schaefer ended up winning on that. So there's a lot of travel between the four islands unless you're using a walkthrough, which will kind of make you do almost everything on one island in one shot. But it doesn't really make logical sense. Monkey Island 2 also for the first time implemented the iMuse event-based music system. So music, again, was composed by Michael Land, though he was joined by Peter McConnell and Clint Bajakian. Here's a piece that you hear right at the start in the town of Woodtick. Now, Woodtick is a good example of iMuse in that the whole town has the same kind of overarching musical theme. However, when you move closer to different locations in Woodtick, the music slowly morphs along with your movement, playing slight variations on the main theme. In the dev commentary in the special edition, again, Gilbert, Schaefer, and Grossman joke that the effect was so seamless that no one even noticed it, despite the hours and hours of work that went into the effect. So despite being what some call the most hyped game of the year, Monkey Island 2 came out late in 1991, again to great acclaim. Reviewers liked the fact that the game had a light mode with easier puzzles, which uh, the the designers kind of lovingly joked was for game reviewers. Uh, It also had improved graphics and interface. So jumping to 1997, we come to the curse of Monkey Island. By this time, Ron Gilbert and I believe also Tim Schaefer have parted ways with LucasArts and uh, a new team was brought in. No, actually Schaefer had not parted ways, but he was not involved with the project. So a whole new team was, was brought on to do the curse of Monkey Island. After the uncertain end to the last game, we find Guybrush sitting in a lone bumper car floating in the Caribbean Sea. He's very, very weak and he's writing his log. Captain's log, Guybrush Threepwood. Lost at sea for days now. 
I have no crew or navigational instruments. No provisions except a half-eaten corn dog, and unless I find water soon, I'm surely done for. Only the hope of finding my love, Elaine, keeps me going. And my quest for the fabulous treasure called Big Whoop has left me in this sorry state. I thought it would bring me fame and glory. Instead, it delivered me into the clutches of my enemy, the zombie pirate LeChuck. I had thwarted his evil plot to marry Elaine, and he was after revenge. Uh, really, really thirsty now. If only I could have a small drink of fresh water, I might have the strength to sail on. Oh, but I know there's nothing but ocean for miles and miles. If I could reach land, I might find water and some food. Fruit, maybe. Something to fight off the scurvy and help me get my strength back. Hmm, maybe some bananas. Oh, why do I torture myself like this? I might as well wish for some chicken and a big mug of grog for all the good it'll do me. Oh, my sweet Elaine. Am I cursed to starve here on this ocean without seeing your face just one more time? Am I... Of course, when he's wishing for all those things, they're floating right by him while he's not paying attention. He ends up floating right into the midst of a battle. LeChuck is attacking the fort at Plunder Island, where Elaine is now governor. In fact, LeChuck is trying to woo Elaine into marrying him. Kind of an odd way to go about it, but then he's a zombie pirate. After being captured by LeChuck and escaping along with a huge diamond ring that he found in the treasure hold of LeChuck's ship, Guybrush asks Elaine to marry him. She agrees, and Guybrush places the stolen ring on her finger and soon learns that it is, in fact, cursed. Elaine turns into a gold statue. Now, Guybrush must do all he can to save his bride-to-be. This project was led by David Ackley and Larry Ahern, who had just come off of another game I've already covered, Full Throttle. They used Full Throttle's version of the Scum Engine. This dispensed with the traditional lower third of the screen in favor of an interface coin, which would appear on holding down the left mouse button, similar in style to the one in Full Throttle. The graphics were upgraded to 800 by 600 SVGA at 256 colors, and the art style also took a big left turn. Just like King's Quest VII, Monkey Island 3 went fully animated. The art style is very, very cool and reminiscent of any high-quality animated feature of the time. This was also the first Monkey Island game to feature voice acting. Dominic Armado is the voice of Guybrush Threepwood. Armado has done many, many video game voices, mostly in LucasArts games. Elaine was voiced by Alexandra Boyd, a British actress who's had roles on Coronation Street, in Mr. Holland's Opus, and more. LeChuck was voiced by veteran actor Earl Bowen. Bowen has had a long career, including the role of Dr. Peter Silberman from the first three Terminator movies. He's the psychologist that questions Kyle Reese in the first movie and that Sarah Connor uses as a hostage to escape from the psych facility in Terminator 2. He's also the narrator in all of the World of Warcraft games. So when you start a new character, he's the guy that says, the night elves are a race of things and stuff. It also featured guest voices, uh, Mary Kay Bergman as Minnie Goodsoup and Gary Coleman as diminutive pirate Kenny Foulmouth. The voice work in Curse is top notch. Again, the game's music was composed primarily by Michael Land and is just awesome. Here's one of my favorite pieces, 
the theme when you enter the Barbary Coast, the pirate barbershop in Puerto Pollo, the main settlement on Plunder Island. Again, they really leverage the iMuse system in this game. For example, when you're walking around Puerto Polio, the Puerto Polio theme plays. As you enter different buildings in the town, the music inside is definitely different, but most definitely a takeoff of the main town theme. The Barbary Coast is even cooler because as you talk to each of the characters inside, they each have their own theme, which is a takeoff of the Barbary Coast theme, which is inspired by the Puerto Polio theme. This is all done so seamlessly, you don't notice it unless you're paying attention, and it is just genius. I could say more, but I think I'm, uh, I'm getting close to running out of time. So the new millennium, that is the year 2000, brought us Monkey Island 4, or Escape from Monkey Island. The story begins with Guybrush and Elaine returning from their honeymoon to find Elaine has been declared dead. Her mansion is set to be demolished, and her position as governor is up for election. Guybrush soon unearths a plot by LeChuck and Ozymandrill, a real estate developer, to use a voodoo talisman to make pirates docile and turn the Caribbean into a tourist destination. So this was the first Monkey Island game to feature 3D, and it used a slightly improved version of the Grim Fandango engine. The cast all returned except for Alexandra Boyd, so Elaine's voice was changed to Charity James. The bulk of the game's music was pulled from the soundtrack of the previous game. Though the game itself reviewed fairly well, a lot of players complained that the keyboard controls used to control Guybrush were not nearly as intuitive as the traditional scum mouse control. So that brings us basically up to today. In 2009, Telltale Games worked together with LucasArts to create a new series, The Tales of Monkey Island. Like the newer Sam & Max games, these are shorter, episodic-type games. They are 3D, but more in the art style of the third game. I have them in my Steam library, but actually haven't gotten around to playing them just yet. Also in 2009, LucasArts released a special edition of the first game upgraded to modern standards, which we've been listening to throughout the, uh, throughout the show. The cool thing about Special Edition is that you could switch between classic view and modern graphics at the press of a button at any point. The game is very close to the original, though some people did complain a bit about the modifications to the interface in the modern version. This was solved, however, in 2010 with the Special Edition of the second game. Monkey Island 2's Special Edition reverted the interface closer to that of the original, but still allowed the great flipping back and forth. As for new games, the agreement with Telltale has expired, and LucasArts is now owned by, well, in fact, LucasArts doesn't really exist anymore, except in name, uh, and they're now owned by Disney. So any possible additional future for Monkey Island is uncertain. At least we do have some more modern takes of the series, though.
So where can we get our hands on Monkey Island today? Well, I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is you can't legally download the original games anywhere in digital form. Of course, there are always eBay auctions and more gray, nefarious means, but I don't usually talk about those. Uh, The good news is that the special editions of the first two games are available on Steam and are in fact on sale right now during the big Steam summer sale. The special editions are incredibly faithful reproductions of the original to the point where you can turn off the voice acting and play the whole thing in classic mode with VGA graphics, MIDI score, everything. If you want an easy way to play, these special editions are 100% the way to go. The third and fourth games are sadly unavailable. This is a tragedy, especially for the third game, which I personally think is one of the best of the series. The Tales of Monkey Island series is available on both Steam and GOG for $34.99. However, Steam is currently offering it at 50% off thanks to the summer sale. That runs until July 22nd, 2013, I believe. So, before we get to my opinion, we got some great emails this week. First, a message from Father Beast. He writes, Hello, this is Father Beast, and I'm going to tell you some of my experiences with Monkey Island. Because it's me, it always starts with a story about how I discovered the game. This time, it was fairly easy. In 1999 or 2000, the disc that shipped with my copy of PC Gamer magazine had what they called the Classic Games Library, with full versions of Ultima, Wing Commander, XCOM UFO Defense, and some others. One of those was The Secret of Monkey Island. This quickly became a favorite of both me and my then six-year-old daughter. I can't fully describe just how much fun we derive from the ludicrous situations Guybrush Threepwood would find himself in, but here's just a few of the most memorable. Meat Hook's terrible monster that you have to tame, having a moment with Stan, the slimy used ship salesman on the dock, sinking your ship with the catapult, sticking the monstrous Q-tip into the ear of the ape statue, We found Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge, somewhere and worked our way through that also. It wasn't quite as good, but it did have moments of sheer awesomeness, like when Guybrush stuffs this 100-pound sheepdog under his overcoat and there's this bulge moving around for a bit, then his coat hangs straight. Guybrush then looks directly at the player and grins. Monkey Island 2 was also ridiculously hard. I'm glad we had some internet access by then and could download a walkthrough. Even so, walkthrough in hand, some puzzles required multiple tries to get right. I remember my daughter giving me this great big hug when we finally won the spitting contest. The Monkey Monkey Island 2 also introduced Mega Monkey Mode, where the puzzles were harder. In the lesser mode, the aforementioned spitting contest doesn't even exist. For some reason, I always think that Mega Monkey Mode is the way to play Monkey Island 2, while regular mode is the way to play Curse of Monkey Island. And that brings us to the Curse of Monkey Island. Which, was one of the most, which has one of the most awesome opening sequences ever and is, in my opinion, the crown jewel of the whole series. Maybe it's the sounds and voice acting, maybe it's the improved version of the scum engine, or maybe it's just how wildly absurd the puzzles and situations are. I mean, getting swallowed by the snake never gets old, and there's, totally, and there's the totally gross way you obtain the map to Blood Island. And who could forget Mount Acidophilus, the lactose intolerant volcano worshipped by the vegetarian cannibals? Vegetarian cannibals who, I must add, speak in cultured English accents. My daughter and I are doing a podcast now where we talk about stuff we love to go on about, 
and we did Curse of Monkey Island for about two hours. The podcast is not online yet, but I will keep you posted if and when it does. Next came Escape from Monkey Island, which was rather a disappointment. It used a new engine which had no mouse interface, and I was always fighting with the controls. It had a few chuckles, but wasn't really all that funny either. I never finished the game. I did buy the Tales of Monkey Island when it went on sale on GOG.com earlier this year, and it has some of the same flavor. So far, I am partway through episode four, the trial and execution of Guybrush Threepwood, which my daughter, now in college, assures me is quite awesome. Well, this is a series near and dear to my heart, and and the way it never takes itself seriously and frequently breaks the fourth wall keep me coming back. I bought the special edition of both Secret of Monkey Island and Monkey Island 2 on Steam, but I am equally as likely to play them using the original games with ScumVM, which is just awesome. Using ScumVM was the first time I was able to hear music in the first two games, which should tell you just how engrossing these games are, since we became engrossed without the sound. Love the podcast and hope to keep listening for a long time, but it may be quite a while before you discuss a game I am as into as these, Father Beast. Well, thank you so much, Father Beast. Great info, great memories. Again, it's actually, I think, one of the one of the first times though you may have said it in, in previous emails that we got uh, got it from the parents' point of view. Because I know a lot of people that listen to the show are around my age and we were very young uh, when these games came out. So, you know, we have a lot of memories of playing them with our parents. So it's really nice to hear uh, memories of a parent playing it with, uh, with their child. So thank you very much. And uh, please do let us know about or drop me an email or post on the Facebook, actually post on the Facebook group or on Twitter when uh, when you do put up that episode and I'll, I'll link it everywhere that I have the capability to link it. Next, a note from Elima. She writes, hello, Joe and fellow blockers. So glad you decided to cover the Monkey Island series at is it definitely holds a special place in my heart. The first Monkey Island game I ever played was Monkey Island 2 LeChuck's Revenge at my grandparents' house. Even back in the early 90s, pirates held a certain appeal, and my sister, cousins, and I greatly enjoyed the adventures of Bumbling Guybrush. What a name, and what a silly story behind that name. Drinking grog, spitting contests, cheating to win said contests, treasure hunts, sunken ships, voodoo dolls, sword fighting, wow. One of our favorite characters was the colorful Stan and the voodoo lady, of course. The ending left us a bit confused, but overall it was a hell of a ride. A few years later, we got Curse of Monkey Island, and we enjoyed that one even more. We love the cartoonish graphics as well as the voice acting. We can't imagine Guybrush with a voice other than Dominic Armato's. Curse remains one of our favorites to this day. Michael Land's work was also a big part of it. My sister would even leave the game running as she left Guybrush standing on the beach at the Brimstone Club simply for that awesome Caribbean tomb. Papa Pichu entered our family's vocabulary. Lemonhead and Palido Domingo became my sister's favorite characters with their dry humor. Palido's opening lines in particular are etched in our memories. I'm Guybrush Threepwood. I am Palido. Very nice to meet you, Mr. Threepwood. I'm so glad you're here. Finally, someone on the island with some manners. Yeah, my drink needs refreshing. Take it away and bring me another. We enjoyed Escape from Monkey Island well enough, but we felt the 3D didn't fit, and the story was a bit disappointing. Thank goodness the game still had Murray the demonic talking skull. Fast forward a few years later, Telltale releases Tales from Monkey Island. I ended up getting it on a Steam sale and thought it was okay, but it just wasn't the same. Ultimately, I did go back and play the original that started it all, and of course, I got the special editions for MI1 and 2. 
At this point, I can pretty much figure my way out of any Monkey Island puzzle in my sleep, whether it includes being eaten by a snake, quicksand, piranha poodles, a demon chicken, a cursed engagement ring, or insult sword fighting, of course. Simply talking about these games has reawakened the desire to play them again. Blockers, if you haven't played the Monkey Island games, you are missing out. I definitely feel that the first three games hold up extremely well and will fire up the special editions tomorrow. Thanks so much for the podcast. Joe, keep up the awesome work, Emily slash Eliba. Thank you so much for, again, all those great memories. It seems like this this game really has really hit a chord. This series really hit a chord with a lot of people. The same for me. I have very, very fond memories of these games. It seems like people have a lot of fun memories of playing them with their family, playing them with their friends, kind of all getting together. And that's that's where adventure games really did. You know, I may have mentioned this in, in passing with other adventure games I talked about, but this is really where they did excel, I find. Like, they were single-player games, but they were single-player games that were best played with a small group of people because you'd have... You'd all be figuring out what to do. You'd be arguing. You'd say, no, try this, try that. You'd be laughing together. And, you know, you wouldn't think that a game where you're just controlling a guy wandering around would be good to play as a group. But frankly, these are like, these are great party games. You know, when you're just hanging out with people and you want to figure stuff out, you want to rack your brain a little bit. So thank you for the email. Finally, a message from BJ. He writes, I am so happy you are finally covering Monkey Island on the UMB cast. For me, the first ever exposure I got to the idea of Monkey Island, of the Monkey Island series, was my much-loved copy of the July 1997 issue of PC Gamer Magazine and the Curse of Monkey Island cover story. Unfortunately, it would be almost exactly three years later before I actually ever played a Monkey Island game, and that was in July of 2000, when they had the demo disc that contained the rarest of birds for the PC Gamer demo discs, the free full versions of classic games like XCOM, UFO Defense, the very first Need for Speed game, Ultima 1, The Secret of Monkey Island. Of course, I didn't get the game. I still don't because I continuously get very lost with that game and have literally no idea which order in which I'm supposed to play the three trials in. Even worse, I have both of the Monkey Island Special Editions on Steam and I haven't really given them a fair shake. Maybe your show will help me along in that respect. In closing, I hope that we will have some good news on the Monkey Island front soon, whether that's a GOG re-release of all the games in the series to give it a level of accessibility to the general public that has been unprecedented to date, or a new game in the series or what have you. See you on the Facebook page, BJ. Thank you, BJ. Uh, Yeah, you know, I guess I'm interested to see what uh, if we'll get these old LucasArts games in... uh, in re-release, you know, post-acquisition and post, you know, Disney Disneyfication and all that stuff. Just because, you know, these these are and all of LucasArts's kind of titles and and repertoire and everything. They're they're stable of games, kind of before they got into you know heavy Star Wars stuff. Was was very good and very creative. So you know, I hope we can get things like Full Throttle and the original, you know, and Sam and Max, the original one and Day of the Tentacle, Maniac Mansion, all all these Loom, Zach McCracken, and you know a whole whack of games that I, I haven't covered yet uh, available. I mean, I can't see that these only making money if if only from people like us and friends of people like us and and all that. So you know, I've, I I hope I truly do hope that that's the case.
So finally, big question of the show, does Monkey Island hold up? Well, you may already know my thoughts on this, but yes, absolutely. And I'm very sure this is not nostalgia talking. These games are creative. They are well-written. They are well-paced and they are hilarious. The humor is timeless. It totally holds up. There's so many jokes I haven't even touched on. Some of the emailers, you know, they, they touched on a few of them. I can't believe I haven't mentioned Murray the Talking Skull from the third game. I haven't mentioned how the games are split up into chapters. Actually, you've, you've been hearing the, uh, the chapter break music throughout the show. Uh, each chapter is introduced with a title card that shows the chapter's funny title, like Guybrush Kicks Butt, The Largo Embargo, Three Sheets to the Wind, Kiss of the Spider Monkey, and much more. Uh, the Monkey Island series is a must-play. I think I think Alima said it. It's, it. I agree with her. It's a must-play if you're in any way interested in adventure games. Even if you aren't, if you like fun and hilarious stories, this series is a must-play. Play these games, everyone. I can't stress this enough. They are hallmarks of adventure gaming, and in my eyes, at least, amazing examples of gaming as an art form. You're listening to the so that's it thanks to everyone who contributed to the show this has been one of my absolute favorite episodes to put together yet i had so much fun replaying these games i had so much fun researching all that stuff wow one of my top episodes i think and uh you know i hope you guys agree next week i'm rolling from the high seas up to the stars with another space sim possibly one of the most highly regarded space sims to date descent free space. Also, this show will be coming out next weekend instead of in two weeks since I got all off schedule and in two weeks I'm going to be away camping and all that stuff. So next week, that is seven days from today, we will be talking Descent Free Space. As always, send email or audio comments to podcast at umbcast.com. Thanks to Rick Moyer for his great audio work. You can find him and all his stuff over at moyermultimedia.com. You want to throw some work his way. Uh, he does really, really great stuff. If you got a podcast or if you need some audio work, some video work, anything like that, Rick does it for you and he does it well and he is a professional, professional man. Check out the show notes at umbcast.com. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash umbcast. You can follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash umbshow. Me personally at twitter.com slash billybob476. Also, like I said at the beginning of the show, join the new Steam community group at steamcommunity.com slash groups slash umbcast. I'm going to do some stuff over there in the coming weeks. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Stream us live at Stitcher Radio. Leave me five-star reviews or lower if you want to, but I'd really love five-star reviews. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time for Descent Free Space here in the upper memory block. We're a band of vicious pirates are sailing out to sea. When you hear a gentle singing, you'll be sure to turn and flee. Oh, this is just ridiculous. Come on, men. We've got to recover that map. That pirate will be done for when he falls into our trap. We're a club of tune for rovers. We can sing in every clef. We can even hit the high notes. It's just too bad we're tune deaf. A pirate I was meant to be. Trim the sails and roam the sea.
defeat that evil pirate. We know he's sure to lose because we know just where to fire it. We're thieving balladeers. A gang of cutthroat mugs. To fight us off, you only guns. Just jolly good earplugs. A pirate I was meant to be. Trim the sails and roam the sea. Crew, let's get to work. Our vocation's a thing we love, a thing we'd never shirk. We'll fight you in the harbor, we'll battle you on land. When you meet singing pirates, there'll be more than you can stand. Oh, that was a good one. No, it wasn't. Song, we've got to move. The battle will be long, but our courage we will prove. We're a pack of scurvy sea dogs. Have we pity not a dram? We only roasted garlic. Dancing from the diaphragm. A pirate I was meant to be. Trim the sails and roam the sea. Singing, more sailing. When we defeat our wicked foe, his ship he will be bailing. If you try to fight us, you will get a nasty whacking. If you disrespect our singing, we will read you to a cracking. A pirate I was meant to be. Trim the sails and roam the sea. So sick of you guys and your rhyming. We're ready to set sail, though the cannons need a priming. We're troublesome corsairs, and we've come to steal your treasures. We would shoot you on the downbeat, but we gotta rest five measures. A pirate I was meant to be. Trim the sails and roam the sea. And the deck is what we're mop. You say you're nasty pirates, steaming, thieving, babbush whackers. From what I've seen, I tell you, you're not pirates, you're just slackers. A pirate I was meant to be. Trim the sails and roam the sea. surely avoid scurvy if we all eat an orange. And, um... Well, uh... Door hinge? No, no. Guess the song's over then. Guess so. Okay. Back to work. Well, gee, I feel a little guilty now. Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastriani. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today 
at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join the unity.